excited about that. If you're a guest with us this morning, first time, or you've only been here a couple weeks, we have these connection cards. Let's see back in front of you. And we would love just to connect with you and know that you're here uh, and be able to follow up with you. So uh, if you want to grab that, if you've never filled out one of these and drop it in an offering box as you leave today, that'd be awesome. If you're with us online, you can fill it out online as well. Just go to our website, 24church.com, and uh, hit the Let's Connect button. And uh, that'll give us a way to connect with one another. We're going to be in 1 John. We're continuing our series there. So go ahead and turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3, or, or scroll with me there if you'd like. Uh, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, like a physical copy, and you'd like one this morning, if you just raise your hand, uh, our ushers would be glad to let you borrow one of those. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd be happy for you to keep it as well. Um, but just keep your hand up. Don't make them walk down here for nothing if you need it. Uh, yeah. Y'all awake? Okay. It, it, I don't know if I fully believe you, but we'll get there. Um, we'll start with a prayer. How about that? Let's pray together and ask God to help us. Father, we're going to learn from your word this morning. We're going to talk about how we kind of battle our own hearts, Father, this morning. And so I pray that you would help your word through the power of the Holy Spirit, just to enlighten whatever's going on within us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to every single one of us is here, whatever it is that we need to hear from your heart. And Lord, that we would leave here uh, changed people, encouraged people, perhaps convicted people, but people finding rest and hope in Jesus. And so Lord, help us this morning as we learn. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you remember, uh, again, we've been studying in uh, the letters of John together, and we're in First John, which is the big one, uh, and we're, all, we're more than halfway through. We're at the very end of chapter 3, uh, which is where we're going to be studying today. And just by way of reminder, this is John the Apostle. He was one of the, the, the inner three of Jesus' 12 apostles, Peter, James, and John. It's that John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote these letters, First, Second, and Third John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And he probably originally wrote this letter. He'd already written his gospel, and, and it was being passed around the New Testament churches. And now he writes these letters to help them deal with some issues that are going on in their midst. Uh, specifically, some people that have, you know, started saying different sorts of things about Jesus that aren't true. And, and trying to paint a picture of the Christian life that was completely different. And so John writes to combat that and to say, no, I was with them. I know what this is about. Re remember the things that you heard at first. Okay, and, uh, and so he, he wrote this letter to deal with some of those things. Um, let's, let's read together. 1 John 3, beginning at verse 19 through the end of the chapter. This is what God's Word says. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit, whom He has given us. So I grew up in a Christian home, uh, and by that mean, I, I mean, I, I wasn't a Christian. 
because you have to become a Christian. You're not born a Christian. But I grew up in a household that went to church regularly. Uh, and in the tradition that I was brought up in, that meant that we were Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night Christians. I mean, we were there all the time. I was raised in the nursery. I was there all the time. I probably heard the gospel hundreds of times. But then there was this moment when I was seven year old, seven, about seven years old, when God broke into my heart and, and revealed to me like in a way where it was like, oh, not just like I intellectually knew it, but like, oh, I'm a sinner. And he started drawing me to himself. And it, it was at that point as a seven-year-old little boy that I, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And a lot changed. But to me, probably didn't feel like a lot changed. You know what I mean? I wasn't a bad kid. I continued to not be that bad of a kid. And then as I got into my teenage years, I had a youth pastor that really poured into my life and kind of showed me what it meant to walk with Jesus in an everyday way. He discipled me, and I was growing in my faith. Uh, but then near the end of high school, I began to, de- uh, to deal with severe doubts about my salvation. Did I really know what I was doing when I was seven years old? Do I really believe this? Does God really live in my heart? Have I done the thing? In some ways, I was overcomplicating it. In some ways, it may have been a reaction to my parents divorcing and there just being turmoil in my life. All I know is that for three or four years, for whatever reason, God kind of kept me in that place. And I was dealing and wrestling with doubts that would ebb and flow. And and you could say that I was battling my heart. The, The most interesting thing to me in these verses is 19 and 20 where he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. John wants to tell us something about battling an unbelieving heart. Another story. When I first got back here to 24 about five years ago, I... Maybe maybe this was a mistake, or maybe Chris Royalty set me up. But the, the sermon that I had to preach, the text that I was assigned one Sunday morning, was on marriage and divorce. I was kind of like, oh, you, you dodged that bullet, Chris. And so he handed that text off to me. And as a child of divorce, you know, I, what, what I want to do when I'm preaching a message like that is be very clear on what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. God doesn't love divorce. He's not for it. And at the same time, really lift up grace high because we've all made mistakes and it's not like that's the unforgivable sin. And Jesus loves us despite our mistakes, right? So I'm preaching this sermon. And I must have done an okay job because this woman approached me after church and she said, and she was an older saint, had been divorced when she was younger, remarried for a long time, very clearly a follower of Jesus. And she said, thank you so much. I, I, have, I have wrestled for years with wondering whether or not I'm going to go to hell because I was divorced. And, and, and in that moment, she, she was wrestling with an, a condemning heart, an unbelieving heart. And in that moment, God reminded her, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I remember talking to this college student years ago, same sort of thing. He, he grew up in church, and he was a believer. 
And at this point in his life, he was a believer who was really seeking to follow Jesus. But there had been a, a couple years in his early college years when he had sort of sown his wild oats. You know what I mean? Slept around, partied it up a little bit. And now he was really wrestling with, am I, am I really a follower of Jesus? Can, has God really forgiven me for this sin? Because I sort of trampled the gospel underfoot for a while, and now I really struggle with whether or not I know him. I really struggle with whether the gospel is, is news that's that good. Could God really forgive me when I've done this? And he was wrestling with a heart that was condemning him. And that's what John says this text is about. He, 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 wants, to, he wants to give us a prescription to battle our unbelieving hearts. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There's really three, three kind of enemies of the Christian. This is a really helpful grid for me. But, the, but clearly, for all of us, Satan is one of our enemies, right? I mean, his word, the, the name Satan means the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser. He's the one that condemns us. Okay, in 1 Peter 3, it says real clearly... Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Satan's there to accuse us, and he's our enemy. That's one enemy. We have another enemy, and that enemy is what we're talking about right now, our hearts, right? So James 1, 13 and 14 says this real clearly. You're probably very familiar with this verse, but he says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person, so this is you and I, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, his own flesh. Our hearts are not perfect, and oftentimes we want things that we should not want. We are drawn to things that are sinful. We have a heart that's moved away from God, and and our own hearts, our own flesh can be an enemy against us. And then there's a third enemy, and the third enemy is the world. So Chris preached about this a few weeks ago in this series, but remember early in 1 John, in chapter 2, it says, do not love the things of the world, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, in another sense, John says, for God so loved the world. <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loves the world, and at the same time, John says, don't love the world. What's he talking about? He's talking about the world system, the philosophies, the idols, the ways of thinking in which the world operates that are contrary to God. And which, for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, he has allowed the devil to have a measure of control over society, so you see this everywhere we go. He's allowed Satan right now to have a measure of control over society, not complete control, but a measure of control, and that's why you hear ideologies and philosophies and advertisements and temptations that are contrary to God, and that's our third enemy. Now, here's what's really weird. All three of these enemies of the Christian, the flesh, Satan, the world, work together, and are often weaved together, and the enemy uses them all to condemn us, at times to tempt us, 
to lead us away from the living God. Right? So that's going on all the time. That's what you're facing all the time. Okay? And then, to just add another layer of complexity here before we jump in, see what the prescription is, there is such a thing as godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. There is such a thing as, as godly conviction. In other words, God will point out very clearly your sin and remind you of what you've done that's against him, but not as a way of condemning you, but as a way of saying you need saving. And Jesus has done everything you need to, to be my son or my daughter, to be welcomed into the family. And so though you are sinful, Jesus wants to forgive your sin and come into your life and change you. And so there is a godly conviction a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and faith in Jesus. And, and Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. He's writing to this church and he says, I, even if I've made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss to us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, and that's not condemnation. If you feel condemnation, that's the enemy. If you feel godly sorrow that makes you want to grab onto Jesus with all your worth, that's the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' invitation to follow him in repentance and faith feels like this. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So a lot of things going on here. But in this passage that we're looking at today, John is concerned. And, and if you remember all the things we've been talking about in 1 John, he, he's, he's reminding us again and again and again that, that we need to walk out our salvation. That if we say we not sinned, we're liars. But at the same time, we should not continue in continual, repetitive, unrepentant sin, but that we should follow Jesus. And, and now it's like halfway through the letter, he goes, I need to clarify something because this can get confusing and you might feel condemned. You might feel your heart attacking you in a way that's not helpful. I mean, again, just to use his words again. By this we shall know the truth that, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Jesus. For whenever our heart condemns us, he says, that's what I want to talk about. What do we do when the enemy or our heart or the world seems to be condemning us? How do we fight that? What's the prescription for that? And I think he tells us three things. Okay? So I want to, I want to talk about those briefly. How we can encourage ourselves in the faith. How we can run away from condemnation and find grace and remind ourselves of the gospel when that happens, if that happens to you. Okay? So the first is that we've got to live out our faith. So look again at the first two verses that we've read like 14 times now. We'll look at them again. And he says, By this we 
shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him by this. What's the this? So he says something, the this, whatever the this is, is it, by that thing, we're going to know that we're of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. So to understand the this, we've got to go back two verses. And if we go back two verses to verse 16, here's what it says. What Doc preached about last week. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, here's the key. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So the first thing John wants to remind us is one of the ways we assure our hearts before God is that we, we've got to put on good deeds now that we're followers of Jesus, right? So we're saved by grace through faith alone. We can't offer anything to God. He does all the heavy work, all the heavy lifting. We can't offer God our baptism. We can't offer God our church attendance. We can't offer Him our giving record. We can't offer Him how we are a good person at work. We can't offer Him the fact that we were born into a religious family. We can't offer Him any of that and expect that He'll go, well, that's good enough. You're a Christian. That's not how it works. He, he, did, he had to die on the cross so that our sin would be paid for. And we had to accept that by, by faith. He does, we're, we're saved by grace through faith alone. The essence of religion is trying to earn our way to God. The essence of the gospel is God brought the way to us. But we are saved by grace through faith alone, but not by faith which remains alone. Now that we're followers of Jesus, we add good works. We seek to live and walk as Jesus walks. And and John says when we do that, our hearts are going to be assured. It's one of the ways that we, we attack an unbelieving, a condemning heart is by seeking to live out our faith in actuality, in the day-to-day. He says, he says again, you know, don't, little children, but if anyone has the world's goods and, and sees his brother knee yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth. He says, you got to, you got to, you know Jesus. He saved you. you you got to try to be like Him now in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to love each other like family. we got to take care of each other. As, as we're able, we can't help in every single single thing. I mean, that's a way that you could feel condemned. Well, I just don't have any money to give right now. God understands that. But as the Spirit leads you, as you see opportunities to, to serve the body and to serve your neighbor and to help those in need, you jump in and you expend your, your resources and you expend your time and you show affection for them because you have been loved deeply and you want them to know that love. And so you, you share that love. And that actually builds up your faith, John says. The really famous place where the Bible talks about this is James 3. You probably all know it if you've been around Christianity for very long. But James, who was Jesus' half-brother, James, like walked with him, saw him, says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother, same thing, look, look at it. Almost the same context. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. In other words, well, God bless you, but you don't do anything? Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We actually build up our faith. We actually assure our hearts when we seek to live out our faith in deeds. Here's what Colin Cruz says. He says, when the author says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth, he is reinforcing the exhortation to his readers not to close their hearts towards fellow believers in need. They will know they belong to the truth when their love finds practical expression in helping those in need. So perhaps one of the, feel, one of the reasons that your heart may feel embattled this morning and condemning towards you this morning it could be that you're kind of being two-faced. Like maybe not a lot of people know it, but you're, you're kind of one person at work and another person when you're not at work. You're kind of one person on the weekend and one person through the week. And God says, don't be two-faced. You take what he knows to be true about you and just dump that on you and lump that on you and remind you of your sin and you will feel embattled because you know you're not being wholehearted. He says, seek wholeheartedness. Seek, seek living for Jesus in all of life. Okay, here's the second prescription is that we got to trust the gospel. That's the second prescription. So at the end of verse 19, he says, by this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, listen to this part, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything, okay? And he says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We're going to come back to that later. And he says this, he says, and this is the commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So he says, he says, the second prescription for an embattled heart is to trust God more than you trust yourself because God knows everything. He knows us. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows you, and he even knows what's in your heart better than you know in your heart. He's closer to you than your own breath. And his first command for all of us is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we feel embattled, we, we need to remember to trust the gospel. What's the gospel in a nutshell? For, for the wages of sin is death. The wages means what you earn, right? What you earn for your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord means owner, ruler, boss. He gets to come into my life and call the shots. If you confess that's what I want from him and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. That's the gospel. And so let me, let me help paint this picture. 
lengthy quote here from John Stott. I think this is really helpful. He says, the way to be sure is not just to feel sure. Many people who are at the beginning of their Christian life make this mistake. They rely too much on their superficial feelings. One day they feel close to God, the next day they feel alienated from Him again. And since they think that their feelings are an accurate reflection of their spiritual condition, they fall into a frenzy or into uncertainty. Their Christian life becomes a precarious roller coaster as they soar to the heights of ecstasy only to plunge again into the depths of depression. Such an up and down experience is not what God intends for his children. We have to learn to be wary of our feelings. They are extremely variable. They change with the weather, with circumstances, and with our health. We are unpredictable creators of whim and mood, and our fluctuating feelings often have nothing to do with our spiritual progress. The basis of how we know that we are in relationship with God is not how we feel but the fact that he says we are in relationship with him. The test we are to apply to ourselves is objective, not subjective. God promises in his written word to give eternal life to those who receive Christ. So your heart is embattling you. You need to ask this question. Not so much how I feel, but was, was there a time in my life where I said, Jesus is all I need, I forsake my sin. I know I'm a sinner and I don't want my sin anymore. And I need him to come into my life and change me and save me because of what he's done on the cross and by his resurrection. And I can't offer any good thing to God. It's only what Jesus has done. Have you, have you done that? Has there been that moment? We trust that more than we trust our feelings. We trust the gospel. We preach the gospel to our own hearts. There's therefore now no condemnation for Ben who is in Jesus Christ. And when we gather together, we preach the gospel to each other. And if we could get into a place where we could be honest and open enough about how we're feeling in that moment, and we maybe confess, confess to a good friend that we're feeling pretty beaten down and we're struggling with doubt, we let them then preach the gospel to me. Not because we haven't heard it before, but because we need to hear it again from their lips to our heart. And so the gospel in our brother's heart is stronger right now than it seems that the gospel is in our own heart. And so they preach the gospel to us. And so we gospel one another. That's essentially what all this is. We're trying to gospel one another through singing songs and through hearing the word and through fellowshipping with one another. We're, we're trying to hear the gospel again and go, God, help create in me fresh new faith I, I trust in you alone. I don't trust in myself or my feelings. And sometimes when you're really beaten down, the most godly thing you can do is just go to sleep. I was reading this this morning. Psalm 3. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies upon the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. We don't trust in our feelings. We trust in Him. 
The third then prescription is to listen to the Holy Spirit. Notice this one at the very end of our passage. Verse 23 and 24. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So when you trust Christ, when you're converted, the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And He's in you. And that's one of the marks of salvation. Is, is Do we hear, do we feel, do we sense the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So let me show you two verses that have just radically helped me in regards to that. And I think you ought to memorize these. I, I did, and, and they're helpful. But Romans 8, 15-17, Paul writes, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit, like soul spirit. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So there is an inner testament of the Holy Spirit to your heart that says, you're God's child. You can call Him Daddy. You can call Him Abba. He is your Father. He loves you perfectly. Do you feel... The Spirit speaking to you, leading you, convicting you, helping you know what to do. Is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That would be the third way that we can help reassure our hearts is, is listen for the voice and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Here's another one, and I might like this verse even better. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Because it's so clear. In Him, who's the Him? God. In God, you also, when you heard the word of truth, what's the word of truth? It's the gospel of your salvation. So in Jesus, when you heard the gospel, and then what happened? And you believed it. You believed in him. At that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, it gets even better who is a guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What's your inheritance? Your, heaven, your inheritance is the renewed heaven and earth in which you are a co-owner of everything as part of God's family and the, the, the acquiring of a new body that will be redeemed and perfect. So God begins our salvation now, but it is not complete until the new heavens and new earth, or new earth come and we receive our bodies. When we bury somebody and we put their body in the grave, 1 Thessalonians says there's a day coming when Jesus comes again when the dead in Christ will rise first. They're already, their soul is already with God in heaven. But when Jesus comes again, their body is going to be reunited with their soul. 
the dead in Christ will rise and then they will receive a glorified body, a full salvation complete in them. That awaits you and I. It's not finished when we just die and go to heaven. We're awaiting the second coming of Jesus where we get the body and where the creation is renewed to the to. The, the garden, except the garden has now turned into a city, according to Revelation. A city, the new Jerusalem, descends from heaven and unites with the, the earth and all sin and disease and everything's gone. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but we get the whole kit and caboodle. Now listen to this. When we hear the word of the gospel and we believe it, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives as a seal that that is our future that awaits us. It's earnest money. The Holy Spirit is the earnest money that God intends to complete what he started in you and I. And so when we hear the whispering and the moving of the Spirit, that's to help us Remind ourselves that we're in Christ. And that God wants us to do battle with our heart. And remember the truth more than our feelings. So he gives us three things. Seek to live out your faith. Remember the gospel. Preach it to yourself. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. When we do that, there's this promise. We kind of skipped over it. But when, when that begins to happen in us, verse 21 also happens. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what He pleases. Do it. So our prayer life, our confidence in prayer gets better when we do battle against our hearts and reassure ourselves that, that God loves us and that we've been welcomed into his family. Here's the last thing that I think is helpful. Is I, I want to just say one more time, what, what's the difference between godly sorrow that leads to repentance and condemnation from the enemy or from our heart or from the world? Okay, because it's really important. Condemnation from our heart or from the enemy or from the world feels like shame. But good godly guilt helps us lead to repentance and joy in Jesus. So Sam Storm says it this way. He says, feeling guilt when we sin is a good, godly, and healthy response that makes us run to God and seek His forgiveness. But feeling shame when we sin is a bad and destructive response that compels us to run from him for fear of his disdain and contempt. If he convicts us of sin, the best thing you can do today is repent and trust in him and ask him to forgive you of sin. But if you just feel condemnation and shame, that is not God. That is the enemy. Maybe the enemy using your own heart against you. Don't give in to it.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there are hearts, and I believe there probably are, who are embattled this morning. Maybe an inner voice of condemnation. Or maybe the voices of condemnation from a bad childhood or a bad relationship. Things that are not true about us, but that just feel so true. And we are just beat down under the weight of that. Lord, I want to pray that you'd free us from that this morning. That you'd free hearts, souls all over this congregation this morning. And that you would remind us of the gospel. That you would remind us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you just help us to come and to abide in the truth of how much you love us and how much Jesus has done for us and how you've welcomed us into the family. Lord, if there are people here who don't yet know you, there's not been that moment where they've crossed from death to life and they need it and they know they need it this morning. Would you draw them to yourself? Would you help them to, for the very first time, confess that you're Lord and Savior and believe in their heart that God raised you from the dead Jesus and that they would become a Christian today. Lord, work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.